it's kind of like Match.com, but for animals. Um, except they don't have quite as much control. They don't swipe left. They don't swipe right. Hello, I'm John Rossi. I'm a touring drummer with a love for all things animal. When I'm on the road, I spend as much time as possible visiting zoos, aquariums, rescues, and rehab facilities. Now, I want to share those places with you. I'll be talking to keepers, vets, conservationists, volunteers, anyone who is as passionate about animals as I am. Join me on my Raw Safari. Welcome back to part two of my incredible interview with Melinda Kamavangza at the Nashville Zoo at Grasmere. I'm excited to get back into all the amazing animal stories that Melinda has to share. But first, a quick reminder. This is the second of a two-part episode, so if you haven't done so yet, make sure you listen to last week's episode before this one. Also, remember that you can support the podcast by visiting patreon.com slash rossafari, rossafari.com, and following me on Instagram at rossafari. Also, it apparently really helps people to find the podcast if you subscribe, and it's even more helpful if you leave a five-star rating. It only takes a few seconds and would really mean a lot to me. And I'm pretty sure that a five-star review for my podcast guarantees you a rain-free day on your next zoo visit. Okay, I can't promise that. But, But it might work. You never know until you try. Anyway, as I said last week, this interview was recorded during the COVID-19 pandemic and as such was done entirely over Zoom. There are definitely going to be a few times where you hear the audio quality drop because of that, but it's not too bad and the information offered is more than worth it. Okay, sit back, relax, and get ready for me to get way too excited about Red Pandas as I continue my interview with Melinda Kamavanza. And speaking of favorites, uh, you know, I did I did mention I love red pandas, and um, yes, I, I need to be careful that my whole podcast doesn't just become red pandas because <laughs> I, I could fair. do that. I'm actually wearing a, a red panda shirt right now from Red Panda Network. Oh, I love it! I love it. So I, I wanted to talk about your pandas because I, I think that you guys have some interesting things going on with some of the naming. And I also think um, yes. I, you have a newer male that I, I may have met before. So I'm kind of curious to hear, oh, cool. hear all about your red pandas. Yeah. So we have two red pandas right now. Uh, if you came to the zoo like this time last year or earlier, it's two different red pandas than we had before. Uh, our two got sent to the Oregon Zoo. Um, red pandas are part of the SSP or Species Survival Plan, uh, which is this really cool program that is, uh, it's kind of like match.com, but for animals, <laughs> um, except they don't have quite as much control. They don't swipe left. They don't swipe right. There's a human that's kind of doing the swiping for them. Uh, so there's for every species that's within the SSP, there's what's called a stud book. And that just has all of the information of every individual of that species that's in an AZA institution. So they can look at red pandas and say, okay, so Nashville has this male and this female and National Zoo has these two and Cincinnati has these. And they can look at it and map it out and they can say, okay, well, we we really need to make sure these genetics stay nice and diverse. How about we take this female from Smithsonian and we take this male from Cincinnati and we send them to an institution that's looking for a breeding pair. And so there, it's, it's kind of like mapping out the genetics and making sure that everything stays really nice and diverse. The ultimate goal would be that in the future, if there were a space to re-release pandas, red pandas, 
that we would have a nice diverse genetic population, that it's a nice healthy population that we feel confident in re-releasing that, that they would s- survive. Uh, we don't want to make it so that it's, you know, a brother and a sister or a mom and a dad or, you know, whatever breeding together. We want to keep it as diverse as possible. So SSP decided that our two red pandas need to be sent to Oregon and they sent us a new pair. Our female, she was named Dr. Lily Parkinson. And we're like, is that right? Like, is that the (laughs) red panda's name? So um, what's really cool is that a lot of times, um, especially when you have these animals that can be a little more stressed with travel, um, a lot of times zoos give the opportunity for a keeper who works with that animal really closely to travel with the animal. Uh, it really helps make that transition a lot smoother. Um, everything is changing. You know, they're going to a whole new area. This, the whole travel part could be kind of stressful. It could probably be noisy and there could be weird smells and there could be weird sounds and everything. So a lot of times having a keeper travel with them is really helpful. Um, so Dr. Lily's keeper actually did travel down with her. And so she came and helped Dr. Lily get settled in. So when we're talking to her, like, okay, what is up, Dr. Lily Parkinson? Like, are you really telling us that is this panda's name? (laughs) And so the story is that um, they were ultrasounding this red panda, a a mother red panda, Dr. Lily's mother. They're ultrasounding her. and, And she found that she was pregnant. Yes, we confirmed pregnancy. We can see it. Here's the fetus. Here's probably the development stages. Here's probably when it'll be due. And then when the baby was born, uh, they ended up naming that red panda after Dr. Lily Parkinson. And we most of the time just call her Dr. Lily. Um, but, you know, out of respect, we leave the doctor on there. Good, Usually good, we still important. call her doctor. Hey, if you've earned the doctor title, you get to keep it. Fair, fair. <laughs> you get to keep the doctor title. So we do call her Dr. Lily most of the time, which is just, it's just very funny to refer to an animal as doctor. Um, so it's a lot of fun. It's a fun little name. The first time I saw that on on uh, the Nashville Zoo um, Instagram, I I was like, um, that's a typo, but but no, <laughs> what? It's so no, it's funny. Not. <laughs> that's great. Uh, and then we have her boyfriend is Rowan, uh, and he came from a different institution as well. He's a handsome little guy. It's really cool. Um, they're a perfect example to me that um, you can have two animals within the same species that look very very different. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have people ask all the time, like, how can keepers tell the difference between their animals? I'm like, they just look different. Again, we're spending more time with these animals than we are with our families sometimes. And, you know, I worked with two hyacinth macaws. They're hyacinth macaws. They look like a hyacinth macaw. Uh, but I can tell you immediately if they're sitting out, hanging out together, like that one's Gloria, that one's Tony. Right. They just look different. They have like, Tony looks like a doofus, <laughs> you know, like, it's just like, they just have this expression and they just look different, you know? So, and I love him. He's one of my favorite animals I've ever worked with. And he's one of my favorite doofuses, um, but he looks <laughs> like a doofus, you know, it's just how it is. Um, so it's really funny with Dr. Lily and Rowan that, those two individuals look totally different to me. Um, sometimes with animals, it's one of those where it's like, well, if I can see both of them together, then I know which one's which. Not with those two, man. If you look at one of them, you can tell who you're looking at. They just right. have totally different facial features. They have different expressions. They just look really different. Um, but both of them are absolutely adorable. And um, I can totally respect that they're on the top of your list because uh, after working with them, I was like, I... I myself am kind of obsessed with red pandas and I've gotten <laughs> nice. to work with all different kinds of species. So they're very cool little animals. So Rowan, I know, came from Binghamton. Yeah. And um, 
I don't know if you can see this. I can I can send this to you. Oh yeah. But that is that is him as a baby. That was maybe oh, oh I don't know. I want to say six months old. Oh my goodness, baby Rowan. And, oh. Yep. And I was I'll, I'll send you that afterwards. Yeah, that would be great. I was there taking pics, and he was the most curious panda, and came right that. up to me. I he would have jumped on me if if there wasn't <laughs> you know the proper barriers and such. Right. Um. He was all about that camera life that is so funny and then once he got like close enough like once he got to the point i got that great picture i got a couple other ones i think he realized like i am putting myself at risk and he became the (laughs) shyest boy he ran away and he he kept like he would go inside and then like peek his head out and look at me and then come out a little bit and look at me more and then if i raised my piano camera to take another picture (laughs) right back in (laughs) that is very funny Man, he's a funny little guy. They have such fun personalities. They're just really cool little animals. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. Well, that is that's uh, that's my favorite species. But tell me some of your faves right now to to work with oh. or just in life. You know, man. You know, that's like it's such a tough question. People ask all the time. That's you know probably one of the top questions I get asked is what's your favorite animal. And it again, it just like asking what animals I'm working with. It changes every day. Um, sometimes I want to tell, I've said before, (laughs) I've said, sometimes I want to say my dog because my dog is one of my favorite souls in the entire world. And I love her dearly. I have a one-eyed dog and she's very sweet. She's elderly and I love her dearly. Um, so I, I also feel like that should encourage people that like, I get to meet all these really cool animals and like still dogs are incredible to me. Um, so if you have pets at home, consider yourself blessed because pets are such a gift and I love them dearly. Um, as far as favorite species go, um, probably I would say the answer that I give the most often, not only because dearly, but I also think it's a good conversation point is the turkey vulture or just vultures in general, probably just vultures in general. Honestly, I absolutely love vultures. I have a a vulture, a turkey vulture named Fester that, um, was kind of one of my first training projects at the Nashville zoo. Um, one of my first, like big that I did on my own. And I trained him from, uh, he came to us from a facility up in Michigan. Uh, he was imprinted. Somebody had probably like, Oh, look, this baby bird, he needs help and taken him into their home and fed him. And at that point, this bird is, there's nothing that can be done with him. He can't go back out into the wild because he doesn't know how to feed himself. And he's going to chase people around for food, which people are not going to like. Um, especially when they're a lesser loved species, like a bald headed little vulture. Um, so luckily he got taken into a rehab center up up there in Michigan. And then we were able to get him. Um, one of our former keepers had worked at that, uh, rescue center and she knew that they had a vulture they were trying to place and that we had, we're, we were looking for a vulture. So it was kind of a perfect match. Uh, so I trained him from imprinted kind of nervous little bird to, um, he flies in our shows in the amphitheater free flighted. So we'll take him out and fly from here, fly to there. Um, and it's really cool to have a big six foot wingspan bird fly over your head. Um, they're such important birds. And that's why I like to give that answer a lot of times is because people think vultures are gross, but they actually keep us really, really healthy. Um, they can digest like anthrax and all these crazy like botulism and all these different oh wow yeah they can digest crazy things that would make us very very sick and i always like to ask people like if we didn't have vultures who's going to be taking care of all that dead stuff on the side of the road 
I sure don't want to do it. Most people probably don't. So I'm very thankful for vultures and they're all around the world, which is really cool. Um, they're all different, but they all have that same role of eating dead stuff, which is actually really important. So that is one of my favorites. Another favorite that I have, uh, probably favorite individual. Well, gosh, it's so hard. (laughs) There's so many that I love. Um, one of my favorite individuals, individual like animals that I ever worked with was a cheetah, uh, that I got to raise from when he was relatively young. It was him and his brother. Um, they were part of a litter of eight cubs, which is too many for mama to care for. Yeah, that's a lot. Um, so, so mama got to raise, and it wasn't at our zoo. They were born at a different zoo, but we ended up getting these two boys that they pulled so that mama could raise six and not have to focus on eight. Um, and we had them at the national zoo for a short time and I worked with them for about a year. And then they actually went and they live now at the San Diego zoo safari park. And they're part of the cheetah run there. So okay. if you ever go to the San Diego Zoo Safari Park and you see two cheetahs run together, because most of the cheetahs there have a dog, right, brother, right. sister. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you ever see two cheetahs run together, that's my boys, um, Kubi and Sokka. Okay. And I love those boys dearly. One of those, um, he just, for whatever reason, like it's really interesting working with so many different animals. Um, I love every animal that I've ever worked with. Um but like, man, you just connect with some of them on a different level. Mm-hmm. And one of those cats, it's like, we just had a connection. It was like instant. Um, I also had like some kind of crazy life stuff going on at that time. Um, and animals are great for therapy. Um, so I spent a lot of time with those guys and, um, just got really, really close to that one cat. I love both of them, obviously. Um, and we're not supposed to have favorites, you know how that goes. Um, but I just, me and that cat, man, he was, he was a special one. I actually ended up getting to go and visit them a couple years later at the San Diego Zoo Safari Park. And the folks out there were so kind and so generous and let me uh, get to see them run and everything. So they kind of planned it around when I was going to be there. They let those guys run. Uh, so it was really cool. Um, so yeah, cheetahs have a special place in my heart as well. Um, I've worked with just a lot of different things. I think probably in this hospital role of getting to work with so many different animals, I'd say the favorites that I've worked with in that aspect um, the cheetah or okay. So there's a funny story. Um, what's funny is that I was going to say the rhino, but my brain said cheetah. But the funny part is that our male rhino's name is actually the cheetah. <laughs> so for some reason, my brain jumped to that. We don't even usually, yeah, usually we'll call him TC just for short, but yeah, sure. his name is the cheetah. Why is his name the cheetah? So, um, something that zoos will do sometimes as a fun little fundraiser is um, if you want to donate a lot of money, you know, we, so the National Zoo is privately run. So the only money we get, we don't get money from the city. We don't get money from the state. All of the money we get either comes through ticket sales or through private donations. Um, So we're always very grateful for private donations. Uh, Sometimes if you want to donate a lot of money, you want something out of it. Um, So something we can offer is that people can name animals. So yeah, that guy was named by a donor's kid. (laughs) Um, who is obsessed with cheetahs. Um, And he, you know, of course, I'm sure he would have probably rather gotten to name a cheetah. um, But since we didn't have a cheetah, he decided to make it his own fun way of having a cheetah at the Nashville Zoo uh, in the form of a rhino. (laughs) Okay, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's the fun story of our male male rhino's name. Um, That guy was a lot of fun to work with. um, Kind of a, if you if you don't mind me telling the fun story of him, no, please do. Um, so he came from a facility down in Florida. Um, we needed a breeder male for our four females and 
he was at a facility where he's pretty much just out roaming in grasslands, not in a barn, not around people, just out doing his thing. And so he came to us and um, we have a beautiful rhino exhibit um, that's several acres. Um, but again, that quarantine period, we want to make sure he's healthy. We don't want him tripsing out around on the yard. If he doesn't have a parasite, he's going to like infect the entire yard. So he stayed in the barn. We did a pretty quick quarantine on him. I think it was actually um, probably closer to two or three weeks instead of the full month long quarantine. And so we have this rhino who's used to being in grasslands and not used to being around people. But we know that at the end of his quarantine, we're going to need to get an exam on him. He needs vaccines. And we just like need to look in his eyes, listen to his heart rate, listen to his breathing, you know, make sure that he's healthy. So we're going to need hands on this animal. Uh, so our barn is set up uh, so that there's these big ballards, they're big posts. So where we can interact with the rhino, but safely that there's gaps in between it. So we can touch the rhino and we can, you know, we can put a stethoscope up to him and listen to him. We can look in his eyes and all that. Um, but there's, it's still not a shared space. Right. So the goal was to get him to come up to that so that we could do his exam by the end of his quarantine. And so, um, the other quarantine keeper and myself, we kind of took it on as a challenge of like, all right, if we're going to do this, let's do it. Let's get this animal trained. Um, cause I love training. That's a big part of my background with the, um, with the shows aspect and everything that I did on the other team. We did a lot of training over there. Um, and my other keeper does as well. So, um, we got a rhino who had never been around people, always been in a field in 10 days. He would line up at the bars when we asked him to, and would line up for scratches. Um, fun fact, white rhinos really love scratches. Uh, and would flop over for extra scratches, like a dog <laughs> flops over for scratches. Um, so within 10 days we met our goal, which was really, uh, it's a, it's something like she and I still are very proud of that. Um, we trained him just initially with hay. We'd get him to like stick his head out between the bars and like eat some hay and like, okay, now we're going to like sit near you while you reach your head out and get some hay, you know, in a safe space so that right. you can't get to us. And then like, okay, the next time you stick your head out, I'm going to have my hand out there and it's going to touch you. And he's like, Ugh. but there's hay. So like, all right. And then, okay, I'm going to like start scratching your face. And he's like, oh, well that's, hey, that's actually kind of nice. Okay. And so as soon as he learned that like he liked scratches, it was, I hate to say easy at that point, but it made our jobs a lot easier that like we could do, um, you know, try and call him over and like, hey, you're going to get scratches if you'll line up here. So we kind of gave him a target and we would get him to you know, put his nose where we wanted it. So he would line up completely against those ballards there so we could scratch him and we were able to do his exam. So that was a really fun one. That was probably one of the like proudest things I've done or things I've been most proud of, uh, in, in the quarantine role. So that was pretty cool. That's awesome. Um, the tigers, tigers were fun. Red pandas, of course, were one of my favorites. Um, what's funny is that I like, I kind of consider myself more of a bird person. And here I am listing all these mammals that I love. <laughs> um, I, I'm trying to think. I mean, obviously the baby flamingos, we already talked about those. Raising those baby flamingos was um, exhausting because we had a whole lot of chicks and they all needed fed and they all hatched at different dates. So they were all on different schedules. So I felt like I was feeding all day long for a little <laughs> while. Um, but man, what a rewarding thing. Like it was so cool getting to work with those guys and now they're out on the trail and I love getting to see them when they walk by. Um, yeah, it's asking a zookeeper what their favorite animal is, is kind of a loaded question. Oh, I know. And <laughs> but, that's why um, I do it. <laughs> like I said, 
like I said, it changes every day. Um, like I mentioned to the high school, McCall, Tony earlier, he's, um, uh, he's another one of my like favorite individuals. Um, I wouldn't say that like hyacinths are necessarily like, a favorite species, but like, man, I just love that bird. He's very sure. cool. Um, caracals are kind of a new, a new favorite. I worked with caracals very early on in my career because we had them at Santa Fe. Okay. Um, and I haven't worked with them since and I've worked with them some recently and I forgot how much I loved them. They're just like sassy little spitfire cats. <laughs> and I, I love them for that. And, um, I, I think I like the sass. Another of my favorites that I worked with years ago was a uh, little Eurasian kestrel. Okay. And man, she was like fierce. Like that is the word I have to describe her. She was fierce. We'd fly her for shows. Um, and she's tiny, I mean, tiny little bird and just so she was just fierce and I loved her. Um, so I, I like, I like the personality. It's really cool seeing, you know, you can work with 10 animals of the same species and they're all going to have different personalities. So right. I think a lot of times that's kind of what makes it interesting. That's really cool. So I'm curious if we can go to the, uh, maybe, I don't know, to me, this would be the harder part of, of keeping. Um, and, and maybe you get to avoid some of this with the quarantine stuff, but we've talked about the SSP and how animals mm-hmm. move from facility to facility and, and all of that. Yeah. What is that like as a keeper? Is that hard? Is that, can that be, or like, I remember, um, so at the Philadelphia Zoo right now, there are a couple of pandas and one of them is, is a boy named Kumbi. And Kumbi oh. is one of my, my favorite animals in the world. I visit Kumbi and, and he's my good buddy. Oh. And um, one time a keeper told me that the SSP had decided he was going away and things actually changed and he stayed and the female ended up, uh, leaving. Um, which I mean, I, I, I loved her too. Her name was spark, but, but Kumi was like my special one. And I remember I was, I was devastated Yeah, and I'm just a fan, right? you know, and I'm curious and, and not just for the SSP, which I know is important and I'm not you know, it's worth it. And I know that genetic diversity and all of that is huge, but on a personal level, is it hard? And also, um, what's it like when, you know, it's, it's an end of lifetime for an animal. Yeah, it's hard. Um, like I said, those cheetah boys that are raised when I first started working with those guys, I didn't know they were going to end up going to another facility. Um, and then when we found out they were, I was crushed. I was so excited. Cheetahs are a species that I've loved for years and I was excited to work with them. Um, and now we find out they're leaving. Um, but I respect the decision. You know, that's the thing is that especially when it's an SSP decision, um, we have to respect that. You know, I think it's always very humbling and it's a good reminder that, you know, these are not my animals. They're the zoo's animals. And, and more importantly than that, um, they're here to do a job and that's to save their species. Um, so it, it does take, sometimes you have to put your own emotions on the back burner and remember the bigger picture, uh, that, that it's not about me and it's not about the connections I've formed with these animals. It's about what our real goal is. And the real goal is to save this species. Um, and that goes for any animal we're talking about here. Um, so with those SSP decisions, yeah, it's, it's totally hard when you see an animal, especially some of these animals we've worked with since they were babies, we've watched them grow up. You know, we just, you know, we have to, we have to be able to compartmentalize a little bit and understand that that's part of it. Um, and, you know, like you, like I said, sometimes you end up going to visit those animals like I did with the cheetah boys out in uh, San Diego. So um, that's definitely a hard part. And again, that, that end of life part is also very hard. Um, I had someone, you know, people don't always understand. And a lot of people aren't animal people. And that's fine. You know, a lot of people 
you know, wouldn't understand why you'd be upset if your dog passes away. Um, so if you have animals at the zoo that die, like, okay, I, I mean, whatever, you just get another one. Right. Um, and that's obviously, that's not how our emotions are. So it's also kind of hard when other people don't really get it. Um, but I had a, a, a manager of mine one time told me that it's kind of like losing a coworker. And I think that's the best way I can describe it because our, our zoo animals, they're not like my pets. Um, and I don't think of them in any way like a pet. Um, they're, they're, you know, I do, again, I've said it a couple of times that we spend more time with these animals than we do with our family sometimes. So we're obviously close with them and we care very much for them. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think it's kind of like that respect that we have for them, that they are doing a job, that this animal is raising awareness for its species and it's being a voice for all those tigers that are being killed out in the wild or, you know, whatever it is. So uh, as much as you're sad to see the animal go, it's also like you are so proud of what they've done for their species that it's as much about that, that they can't continue to, to raise awareness for their species and win hearts for animals that, that it, it really is. I, I think it's like the closest thing I could relate it to is kind of like losing a coworker. Um, it's just, it's as much of a respect and a love as, as that would be. Um, and it's hard. Those are, you know, when I said earlier that sometimes there's hard days and that's, that's kind of what I'm referring to that's a bad day that's it's really hard um but i personally believe that that's you know especially if it's you know we're making that de that decision to euthanize an animal because of quality of life um to me that's the biggest grace we can give an animal and that's the biggest thing we can do for them um is to end their suffering it doesn't make it any easier and you definitely come home and you have a bottle of wine um and and it's hard you know and, and it'll hit you at different times um obviously that day is hard but then you know two days later when you're back at work and here comes their food bowl or commissary didn't get the memo that they passed away and they still set the diet or, you know, mm -hmm. just those little things of like, Oh, here's this boomer ball that used to be his favorite or whatever it is. Um, so it, it can be hard. Um, currently, you know, right now I have that collection of animals with the ambassador animal team that I worked with for seven years. Um, so as I see any of those animals pass, it's very hard for me because I, you know, don't work with them directly day to day now. Um, but I still, I did. And I, I care. It was my job to keep them alive for seven years. So watching them die now is very hard. Um, but it's also hard from the vet side, um, to watch other keepers go through that. Um, so that's kind of the thing that's hardest for me now. You know, our job as a vet team is to keep animals alive. So obviously it's hard on us too. Um, and we, we kind of deal with death more than the other keepers do because we have to see it for everyone. And that, that is hard. Um, it can be hard on, on individuals in the veterinary field, um, because it, it can be exhausting. Um, but also just watching the keepers have to deal with that. And here's this animal that they have been taking care of, you know, maybe for years and it's time and, and no one has ever in denial that it's time we always make sure that everyone's on board. You know, it's a decision that's made from director and vice president and the curators and the supervisors and the lead keepers and the keepers. And we always make sure that, Hey, everyone agrees that this is the right decision. Right. Um, so it's not like anyone's ever mad that it's happening. Um, but it is hard. It's definitely hard. So those are the bad days. Thank you for sharing that. I, um, I can imagine those are the bad days. And it's it's cool. I love that perspective though. I've never thought of it in terms of like the coworker thing. Um Yeah. 
That's really cool. One thing that I always find interesting as a zoo fan is, you know, you fall in love. I mean, with me traveling around, I fall in love with, with certain animals all around the country. Yeah. And then they'll tweet out or, or Facebook message, you know, when an animal passes. And I've had a couple times now where like I wake up to go pee and I'm planning on going back to bed or something. And I hop on Twitter and find out that one of my favorite animals passed away and, you know, was euthanized. And it's such a weird thing to just, you know, oh my goodness, this one's gone now. And, oh, I love that animal. But like you said, I do always go at it from the perspective of like job well done. Yeah. Like you said, you know, like I've always thought, um, you know, Iggy, the red panda at Zoo Atlanta is a very famous red panda. And I, yeah. I, I loved her and she passed recently. And um, right. I I was devastated. But it's that same thing where just when I was there, I saw so many people fall in love with red pandas. Oh, yeah. And so many people buying stuffed red pandas that I knew those oh, are kids 100%. that are going to grow up yep. and some will donate to Red Panda Network. Of course. And when, when, when that decision was made, I was literally like, when I read about it, I was so sad. I teared up. Yeah. And yet I was laying there thinking, you go, girl. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's what's cool to hear, like, you know, an outside perspective. I mean, you're very obviously intertwined with the zoo world because you follow so closely. Um, But it's good to hear, like, I mean, that means that we've, as the zoo community, we've done our job. If, you know, if someone who may have never even individually, like, one-on-one met this animal cares when they pass on, like that animal has done their job and the zoo has done their job making you fall in love with this animal. Because exactly like you said, um, one of those people might grow up and be the next billionaire and they might be the one that gets to save this species because, because as a kid, they fell in love with that species. So Mm -hmm. that to me is really what it's all about. Is that like, yeah, it's hard, you know, thinking of it from that side. Yeah. It's hard to see that, you know, people are sad over the loss of this animal. Um, but it's also like that, look at what a big impact that species or that individual had on their species. And that's, that's huge to me. Mm-hmm. No, I agree a hundred percent. I, I can specifically name a couple of pandas, a couple of uh, sea turtles, one in particular um, uh, that, that are no longer with us that impacted my life so much. And I know over the years I've given hundreds of dollars to those causes, yeah. which isn't a ton, but and that's great. I'm one human, but Hey, it helps. Yeah, ev- exactly. And every little bit helps. And if everyone does that, we're, we're actually making changes, which is yeah. great. Yeah. I love that. That's so cool. Um, so I don't want to end this on a sad note, even though I, I think <laughs> that's an important thing, but do you have any, I'm sure you have to have a story or a couple stories of just funny things that happened or, or, you know, when you were working with an animal and it did something unexpected or just something. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, animals are funny when you're training them. Um, you know, like I said, back on the, ambassador animal team we did a lot of training because that's you know everything that we bring out for a show it's trained to do some kind of behavior and we always train natural behaviors it's not like we're training it to bounce a ball on its nose or anything it's you know flying or it's jumping or it's whatever these animals will be doing in the wild and that's to show off their natural talents uh we're training them to do natural things but it's really fun to be able to communicate with an animal that you don't even it's not like you don't speak the same language it's that you're not the same species uh, but training is kind of a form of a communication that, hey, I want you to do this, and then they do it. And it's really cool to watch. Um, but then, of course, when you're training, uh, you can also get some really funny, not quite the answer I was looking for. And again, that's usually because I, as a trainer, I have not communicated clearly to you, uh, because if I was, you would be doing what I asked. Um, I worked with a 
uh, Eurasian lynx at one point. He was on our program animals or ambassador animals team. And he was funny. He would do, it's like he would wait for you to like, not quite ask him exactly what you wanted to ask. And he would just, he was just a goofball. We'd, he was crate trained and we would, we tried to use him for some programs and um, he ended up going to another facility as well. Um, and like I said, that's one of them that was hard to watch him go, but he was such a cool guy. And he, he's definitely, um, I think he's at a great place now and he just wasn't meant to be a program animal. And that's, that's okay. Not every animal is. And that's a lot of it is kind of taking an animal, figuring out what works best for them and putting them into the role that suits them best. Uh, but in training him, we'd ask him to create and he'd like, look at you. And if you like, if you were not on it with your training, if you were not completely clear with your communication, he was done. He's like, <laughs> no, I'm going to jump on crate. And so I have, I have pictures of him just like laying on top of this crate with his little big floppy feet and his big <laughs> head, just like looking at me like, no, no, you didn't quite do that. Right. Um, we also, man, with, you know, with flying birds, people all the time will ask, like, have you ever had an animal get out of the zoo? Like, or get out of the zoo or escape or, you know, right. whatever. And what's fun with what I used to do with flying birds, like, shoot, I let my animals out all the time. I ask my animals to free fly. And again, that's where your training has to be on it. Your training right. has to be a hundred percent because I'm giving this bird who loves uh, like my turkey vulture for fester. He loves sunshine. That is the most reinforcing thing in the entire world. And I can give him treats, but if I can give him sunshine, that's his favorite. So we free fly him, but say it's a gorgeous sunny day and he finds some sunshine. Well, he's going to take sunshine. And like, <laughs> he knows that I have treats in my glove when he comes down, but he's like, eh, I'm not really that hungry. It's fine. I like sunshine. Um, so free flying birds is always a fun adventure. Um, the little kestrel that I mentioned earlier being a sassy little spitfire, her favorite thing to do was to, we called them fly offs. Um, most of the time it wasn't that our birds really were in danger of being gone forever. It was more just that, Hey, again, I'm not being the best trainer. I'm not giving very clear cues or a guest tried to stand up and grab her or a <laughs> hawk flew by, or, you know, something, something interacted with our training session, uh, that didn't yield the results I was hoping for. Um, and that little bird. So, so, I mean, quote unquote, it was a fly off, but it wasn't, again, it wasn't like our bird is gone. It's just that she's not exactly where I want her to be right now, right. which is on my glove. Instead, she's in that tree yelling at me. Um, <laughs> but our little kestrel loved, it's like she knew she loved to fly off on holidays and I don't know what it was. And I'm not talking like just 4th of July, you know, <laughs> Christmas, I'm talking like flag day <laughs> and mother's day, which Great holiday. Love my mother. Not saying it's not a holiday, but like it didn't matter if it was one of those little holidays written on the calendar, she would fly off. And like, How does she know? So we'd get to work and be like, Hey guys, did you check the calendar? And like, uh Oh yeah, it's flag day. You know, just like, hopefully she doesn't know. And it was inevitable. It was the weirdest thing. I do not know how that little bird knew how it was some kind of holiday. And again, not just a big holiday, not like, Oh yeah, it was 4th of July. So there were a ton of people at zoo. Like, no, Sometimes it was a, just a day on a calendar that's written as a quote unquote holiday and little, little miss would be up in a tree yelling at us. We also, um, we have a, um, a Harris's hawk that we free fly and, uh, you know, we always try to make sure that we're setting the birds up for success. We don't want to fly a bird if it's pouring down rain or if it's super windy or, you know, if there's different conditions, um, 
So sometimes you look at it and you have to like assess the risk and you're like, well, it's not raining right now. And they say it's going to rain later in the day, but like, I mean, it's only a 30% chance. So like if he does fly off, he's going to get wet in a tree, but like, it's only a 30% chance. I think we're good. So we free, we fly Diego, the Harris Hawk one day. And as soon as he starts flying, it starts pouring down rain. And we're like, man, like not a good day to buy a lottery ticket. Clearly like not (laughs) our day. So he ends up in a tree and wet birds can't fly well. So he gets absolutely soaked. And this bird sat in a tree in the same spot for seven hours. (laughs) So that's where you learn your lessons of like, is it worth it? Like, do we just bring Diego out and let people see him? Because, you know, sometimes it's going to be just on the bad side of that risk of like, "Ah, I think it's going to rain. It's going to rain. And your hair hawk is going to sit in a tree for seven hours. Um, So, yeah, I have, I mean, those are always fun stories. The the days of the fly-offs that like, you know, looking back on it now, it's not really that big of a deal, but it is a little stressful when, you know, I don't want anything bad to happen to my animals. Um, and I want you to be down here with me. And, you know, it's not your fault that someone tried to stand up and grab you as you flew by or that your perch was covered by a person standing in front of it or, you know, whatever it was, sometimes it's not their fault and it's not our fault. And sometimes right. it is our fault. And sometimes the birds just want to stand and enjoy sunshine instead of coming down. So, um, that was always a really fun adventure flying birds. I enjoyed that. And I still get to go down. Sometimes I'll watch shows and I still get to watch those guys fly. And I, I enjoy even just watching them. Have you ever been like pooped on or peed on or anything like that? All the time, right? Daily, all the time. (laughs) Yeah. I I can't tell you. Yeah. You know, it's funny just the things that you get desensitized to as a zookeeper. Um, you know, like the, the birds that we used to fly, we train them for pieces of mouse and you don't buy pieces of mouse. You (laughs) cut up pieces of mouse. So we have the frozen mice and we cut them into pieces. Well, and so you have your treat pouch, like in your pocket, and you're like calling a bird down and, you know, sometimes you forget a treat pouch. So you end up with your treat cup in your pocket. Well, there's those occasions where your treat pout or your treat cup, like kind of tips over and you get home at the end of the day and you're like, what's in my pocket? And you reach in, you're like, Oh, it's a mouse leg. That's cool. So, um, yeah, I mean, things like that, you just, you really become desensitized to like poop and pee from animals are just, it's just part of the daily job. And every once in a while, it's kind of funny, you know, every once in a while you'll get an animal that like, this animal really stinks. Like this animal is like a gross animal to take care of. Or like their poop is really gross or, or whatever it is. But most of the time it's just like, it's literally just part of the job. Like it's just, I'm cleaning up after an animal. I don't like cleaning up after people. I don't like washing like people's dirty dishes that are in the sink. That grosses me out. If people leave like dishes in the sink with water in them and there's like food bits and water gross but i'll pick up animal poop and animal pee all day long so um we're weird us zookeepers are a weird bunch but um yeah poop and pee are just it's just part of the thing especially like you know with those baby flamingos man we would feed them so we'd kind of like sit with them kind of like i would usually sit like with my legs crossed and kind of sit with them in between my legs and would um feed them and then they'd kind of sit there for a second sometimes and then just like, oh, you just pooped all down my leg. Thank you. That's the gift you get for raising a baby flamingo. Yeah, it's just it's just part of the job. <laughs> Amazing. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for doing this. Yeah. And thank you for the time. I really appreciate it. Um, yeah. I will shoot Happy you. Happy to do it. Thank you. I will shoot you that, that photo of, of oh, uh, yes. lovely Please red do. panda. Mm-hmm. 
You know, there was a moment there right at the beginning of this week's episode where I was showing a baby picture of a red panda to a zookeeper half a country away from me over Zoom for the podcast that I write, produce, and host that it suddenly occurred to me, I really, really am a huge nerd. But I'm guessing that if you're listening, you are too. So I look forward to nerding out with you over more cool animal stories next week. Well, that's our show for this week. I hope you enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed making it. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan Burke and John Rossi. Listen and subscribe on any podcast app. Please take the time to leave a review as it helps other people find our podcast. You can find Rossafari on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Rossafari, on the web at Rossafari.com, or email me directly at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.